Welcome to Healthy Enough, a podcast focusing on building wellness in kids with mental health challenges. I'm Dr. April Bowling, and I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Jamie Slavitt. Together, we're harnessing research and realism to help parents of children with diverse mental health challenges understand how small exercise, nutrition, and sleep habits can lead to big improvements in their kids' mental and physical wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Healthy Enough. We've been overwhelmed with the response to the podcast so far, and we're super glad you could join us today. If you're just finding us, please make sure to go back to the archives and listen to our episodes that focus on physical activity tips for kids with a variety of diagnoses and undiagnosed mental health challenges. For sure, the response has confirmed to us, Jamie, that there's so many parents out there waiting through virtual tsunamis of information and misinformation about how to help their children and teens optimize their wellness while also living with an invisible disability or struggling with their mental health. We've actually gotten quite a few emails and messages asking us to disentangle sleep and screen use. So we're going to start in on that today, and it's probably going to stretch a few episodes because there's a lot to cover. April, I'm not surprised we're getting those emails because even before the pandemic, we knew that screen use tends to be higher among kids with mental health challenges than peers without those challenges. And as we will talk about today, they also tend to struggle more with sleep, difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, and getting enough restorative sleep. Those problems have only gotten worse for a lot of kids during COVID. And one of the problems is that screen use and sleep disturbance can be interrelated, but sometimes they actually aren't. And that can lead to frustration among parents and kids when normal sleep hygiene or screen use tips are put in place and they don't work. You know, there's really nothing worse in my estimation than having a real struggle with anything, whether it's anxiety, depression, insomnia, whatever, and having people tell you, oh, well, if you just did X, Y, or Z, it would go away. You know, those people are usually well-meaning and they're assuming that because those things worked for them or somebody that they know that they could work for you, but it can actually be unhelpful for a couple of reasons. First, because it really assumes that you aren't trying those things already or already doing them. And secondly, because it assumes that certain practices work for everyone when they don't. Even really well-tested evidence-based practices Things that we've proven work in experimental trials don't work at the same level for every individual. I think it can be actually a relief to realize that when you're living with a mental health diagnosis like anxiety disorder or a neurodevelopmental diagnosis like ADHD, there usually isn't a single silver bullet. That way you can stop looking for the silver bullet and instead start building routines and practices. And when people develop confidence in those routines and practices, that can build an overall feeling of wellness. I totally agree. This actually reminds me of a meme that I saw on Facebook that my friend posted. It was that giant container ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal that's been all over the news. Um, So it was a picture of that. And then there was this backhoe and it was just absolutely dwarfed by the ship. And the backhoe was pushing against the ship and, of course, having zero effect on the ship. And the meme labeled the, you know, enormous looming ship, quote, my depression, unquote. And then it labeled the tiny little backhoe uh, as my friend telling me to try jogging. 
and it was funny and it was tragic all at the same time. And it actually made me wince a little bit, Jamie, because, you know, we actually do know that exercise really helps symptoms of depression. And that's what we talk about here on this podcast, but it doesn't solve depression. And, you know, we make that clear. We talk about that a lot. But a lot of people intimate that it does solve depression. Depression isn't just some excuse for not exercising. When medication doesn't work or when somebody has unmedicated severe depression, it can be absolutely debilitating. You know, and if you haven't had severe depression, and and to be clear, I haven't, but I've had many close friends and family members who have and who've had the patience to try to help me understand, you probably don't get how incapacitating it can be. Same with anxiety and other diagnoses. We all have days where we feel down or days that we feel panicky or times when we're super nervous. So we think, oh, I've struggled with that and I was able to manage. But it's not the same thing as a clinically diagnosed psychiatric disorder that really affects day-to-day living. We want to tackle this here because the whole purpose of this podcast is to build healthy life habits for kids who struggle with things like clinical depression or social anxiety disorder, or if they don't have a diagnosis, struggle with a higher level of symptoms than what is typical. In order to do that, you really need to separate facts from fiction and empower these kids and families to do what's right for them. So before we talk about sleep in particular, we're going to talk about something called causation. So causation is an epidemiological term. And epidemiology, for those who don't know, it's the science of understanding what actually causes diseases and who tends to get certain diseases in a population. It often starts with recognizing what we call an association. And that's just the tendency for two characteristics to go together in the same people. So like blue eyes and fair skin or going to the beach frequently and getting a sunburn. Exactly. And in that first case, not all people, of course, with blue eyes are going to have fair skin or certainly vice versa. But people with blue eyes are statistically more likely to have fair skin. So those characteristics are associated. But having blue eyes doesn't cause you to have fair skin. They both come from a common cause, which is genetic. But in the latter case, going to the beach frequently does lead to a higher sunburn risk since it increases sun exposure. So what you're saying, April, is just because two things are associated doesn't mean that one causes the other. Exactly. But it's completely human nature (laughs) to assume that they do. You know, if we go back to Facebook, um, you know, which is, you know, the home of uh, quite a bit of misinformation and also quite a few memes, there's this other popular meme that shows these two elderly ladies side by side. And it says that they're both 85 and one is powerlifting in the gym and the other one's being helped to the car with a walker. And then the meme hopefully states how you age is your choice. You're all about the memes today, April. No, but this one really rankles me um, every time I see it. And I see it all the time. It like pops up in my feed, you know, year after year. You know, I'm a huge believer in the power of exercise to improve and sustain health. But this meme bothers me because it assumes that the power lifter stayed healthy because she was somehow more disciplined and lived a healthier life than the person who needed assistance in the meme. But our genes and characteristics outside of our control affect our health too, not just our behaviors. Aging exceptionally well is not some weird test of virtue. That meme is making a huge assumption. And in fact, you know, we actually know that healthy behaviors like exercise and good nutrition and sleep do help us age better. But elderly folks who can be that fit are clearly also benefiting from genetic, 
physiological and even social advantages that help them continue to do the very behaviors that help them to stay healthy. So maybe the woman with the walker was an avid runner, but she developed severe arthritis in her 60s that uh, eventually affected her ability to even walk without Mm -hmm. aid. And maybe the power lifter didn't exercise seriously until her 50s when she developed a love of lifting and she could continue to do it because she never developed arthritis. Bingo. (laughs) I know lots of people are shaking their heads right now and saying we're making excuses, but that's actually not true. I think, you know, we we have to separate the idea of making excuses from the reality that certain folks face greater barriers than others. Even with arthritis, we can help people find ways to exercise, but shaming somebody who has a real barrier to exercise just because they don't meet some kind of societal ideal of fitness, that doesn't encourage them to exercise. In fact, research shows the opposite. It alienates folks from accessing the programs and exercise classes that they could because they're ashamed of their fitness and their abilities, their limitations, if you will. And the same goes for kids who are struggling with their mental health. They need support, not shaming, to adopt healthier behaviors. And even when they adopt those behaviors, short or long term, the end result may not be exactly the same as peers without those challenges. That's right. And that's a great segue directly into the topic of sleep. So sleep and mental health problems like anxiety symptoms, depression symptoms, inattention problems, irritability, for example, in kids who have autism, Um, they have a really complex relationship. To start, sleep disorders are so common in youth with psychiatric diagnoses that they're actually included as a diagnostic criteria for several, including major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. Studies have also shown that about half of the kids with autism and about 10% of kids with ADHD have significant problems falling asleep, staying asleep, or getting good quality sleep. It's important because sleep literally keeps us alive. You know, when we think about healthy behaviors, sleep oftentimes isn't the first thing that comes to mind, but it's actually a major determinant, if not the major determinant of the health of all of our systems. Sleep affects the immune system, memories, our ability to think, our metabolism, and obviously our mood. If we get less sleep than we need or poor quality sleep, we start to see negative effects on those systems and all those systems are interrelated. Importantly for the kids we work with, a lack of good quality sleep worsens symptoms of depression and anxiety, increases irritability and at times aggression, and definitely hurts attention. So it is important to help kids optimize their sleep, but it's not as easy as it sounds. And there's a lot of evidence that the relationship between sleep and these mental health attributes that you talk about don't just flow one way. Meaning that poor sleep doesn't just worsen mental health, but mental health and neurodevelopmental problems actually make it harder to get a good night's sleep. For example, symptoms of anxiety and depression are linked to extended sleep onset latency, which is just a fancy way of saying it takes a lot longer to fall asleep. That's a huge problem when kids are constrained on the other side of the equation when they need to wake up early for school. Yes, and it also makes it hard to implement some of the normal recommendations to improve sleep, like always getting up at the same time, because that can lead to chronically low duration of sleep. What you're saying is that if kids always get up at 6 a.m., even on the weekends, but they suffer from insomnia, they can't ever get caught up on sleep. Yes. And those recommendations exist because in the general population, always going to bed and getting up at the same time decreases how long it takes you to fall asleep. 
but that isn't necessarily the case for all folks who have psychiatric conditions. One of the reasons for that takes us all the way back to the beginning of this episode when we talked about blue eyes and fair skin, and that is common cause. How so? So we all have what's called a circadian clock inside of us. All vertebrate animals do. It's this bundle of nerves and biochemical reactions that are centered deep in our brains and our hypothalamus. Well, that clock makes sure that our bodies are keyed to the 24-hour cycle of the Earth's rotation. For species like humans who evolved to be awake and hunting and gathering in the day, this circadian clock tells us to sleep at night when the light goes away and we wake up and become active when daylight returns. It's pretty cool to think we actually have this internal clock that's connected to the Earth in that way. It really is. The human body is a remarkable wonder. And so it turns out that there is emerging evidence that certain polymorphisms, and polymorphisms just means that there are two or more different types of a genetic trait. These um, different polymorphisms exist for our genes that regulate our circadian clock. And those differences are also associated with a variety of different psychiatric disorders. So those include autism spectrum disorder, schizophrenia, um, several different anxiety disorders, major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, and even ADHD. In other words, abnormalities in the genes that run our circadian clocks are the same genetic abnormalities that are present in a statistically significant portion of individuals with these different psychiatric diagnoses. For example, it could be that the same gene that contributes to insomnia also contributes to the development of excessive anxiety through different physiological pathways. So there are three ways that sleep and psychiatric symptoms could be related. The lack of sleep makes symptoms worse. The psychiatric symptoms make sleep worse. And both sleep and symptoms are made worse by the same common cause of genetic polymorphisms. Perfectly put. And while I want to be clear that neither one of us are sleep researchers, we do target sleep in our health interventions for kids with psychiatric diagnoses. So we are constantly reading the sleep literature. And that body of literature indicates that probably to some extent, and depending on the specific diagnosis, all three of those pathways actually exist. And we haven't even touched on the effects that psychopharmaceutical medications, you know, which are really important to a child or teen's everyday function, you know, the effects that those medications can also have on sleep. So correct me if I'm wrong, but then the takeaway is that a child with depression may have worse sleep through no fault of their own, and it may be harder to improve sleep than it would be for someone without depression. But if we can improve sleep, then their depression symptoms are likely to improve as well. And if we improve depression symptoms, we might make improving sleep easier as well. It's kind of like a positive feedback loop. But it's really about taking the blame out of it and helping parents and kids realize that sleep is a lot harder for them than for a lot of other kids. And they need lots of sleep tools in their toolbox. Some will work, some won't. And it might take a lot of trial and error to figure out what works to change over time. Yes. And there is hope. You know, it's a really important message. We're talking about some of the barriers and the difficulties here with sleep, but that's not to intimate um, that there's no chance of making a change. Like I said, there's this positive feedback loop by which making small changes that don't seem to dent insomnia right away can improve other aspects of overall sleep and health, and that will eventually help with insomnia over time. Getting more physical activity during the day is one of those changes, right? It is, especially when it includes some exercise that really gets the heart pumping and the breathing up. I don't want to harp just on physical activity since we've covered how it improves sleep last episode. 
But one of the things that can help with is how fast we're able to fall asleep, even if we do have a diagnosis um, that's commonly accompanied with trouble sleeping. Another thing that all kids and teens struggle with is using screens in the hours before they need to go to sleep. And we often paint this as the fault of social media, but homework plays a role too. Yes. Exposure to the light from screens disrupts that circadian rhythm we talked about earlier. But like you said, it's complicated by the use of screens for homework and the need for kids to wake up at a certain time for school. So that's going to be the whole focus of our next episode. Tips for screen use to improve sleep and school accommodations that might help make healthy sleep easier for kids with these challenges. Now that we have some background on the science of sleep and psychiatric symptoms in general, we will also talk about specific recommendations for sleep hygiene practices by diagnosis type. Yes. And to be clear, some of our suggestions will be based on our clinical and research experience and are still in the testing phase. But we'll always be transparent about what's strongly evidence-based and what's just emerging so that parents and kids can prioritize what they think will work with the most information possible. As our listeners know by now, we are committed to keeping these episodes short. So we'll end this one here and pick back up on sleep hygiene practices next time. We are also really excited to be joined in a few weeks by Dr. Rachel Blaine, an associate professor of nutrition and a registered dietitian whose research is dedicated to helping parents of kids with autism overcome eating challenges and achieve healthy diets. I'm so excited because Rachel is wonderful and she'll help us segue from sleep and screens to food and nutrition just as we enter the summer months here in North America where eating healthier sometimes seems a little easier. So we hope you'll keep joining us. If you have any questions you'd like to submit for us to answer in future episodes, you can do so by emailing healthyenoughpodcast at gmail.com. That's healthyenoughpodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again. Until next time, be well.